Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. It is May second, two thousand twenty-one. This is episode one hundred and eight, and its topic is the top five horror movies of nineteen ninety-three. Uh, this year, we are covering the horror movies going through each year the last episode of the month although this is i guess the technically the first episode of the month this time um but uh we've done 90 91 92 so far um moving towards the middle of the decade frank um we've talked about this at the beginning of each of these episodes of like where horror's at and stuff like that it feels like we're still in the kind of sequel Mm, time period and it feels like it's like just like a almost like a wasteland uh, um, overall, like in terms of horror movies, like this year as I'm looking at them. Yeah, I mean, there's some decent stuff this year, but it's mostly limited to the five we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and even they're not like classics or anything. They're just all kind of, you know, whatever. But some of them are really good. But like for the most part, this... Like you said, it's a lot of sequels. Um, there's a lot of remakes, a lot of um, adaptations, um, a lot of really low budget stuff, right. and like not even low budget in the way of like the old school low budget, more I don't know, like just quickly made like rip off, practical effect laden stuff from like Full Moon. Um, like Dollman, um, shit, what else is this year? Like Leprechaun is this year. Right. Um, and I know some people like have a lot of affection for Leprechaun, but it's not a very good movie. Um, and then yeah, a bunch of sequels, a bunch of crap. Yeah. So uh, there are some I want to ask you about. So there's two, two King adaptations this year. Um, one is the dark half and the other is needful things. Um, well, actually there's three. Oh, Tommy Tommy Knockers is ninety three as well. Yeah, that was that was a TV movie though, miniseries, wasn't it? It's a TV film. Oh, okay. Um, it's awful. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That's one of Tracy Lords, right? Yeah, it's a terrible too, though. So I guess yeah, that's that's I hate that book. But um, how do how do you feel about Dark Half and Needful Things? They're fine. They're just kind of um. They're fine. I don't know. I mean, I I like I like Needful Things better than the Dark Half, hmm. um, probably because I think I enjoy the Dark Half more as a novel, and it was kind of it's really a disappointing um, film adaptation of it. Right. Like it's not as um, like that book is really dark and gritty, mm-hmm. and the movie kind of loses a lot of that feeling to it. It just feels like a like a Hollywood movie. Um, need, needful Things is fine. And I actually thought about putting Needful Things on the list. Um, and there's some good performances mm-hmm. in Needful Things, particularly, you know, the the three principals like Sadow and um, Ed Harris and Bonnie Bedelia, Bedelia, however you say her name. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's still like, I, I really like that book too. Um, and I like the whole, like, mythology of Castle Rock in general and you know what king had built up to that point through like short stories and novels and Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like it's not enough of that right like i almost wish it would have been a like a mini series or something Mm -hmm. 
which not really something that was popular at the time to do, but I think it would have been better served having it be like a six episode, like one hour, six one hour episode miniseries. Yeah, it's almost like uh, what they've been doing. What what is the name of that show? The the King Anthology series, kind of. Oh, are you talking about Castle Rock? Oh, Castle Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's almost like it would have been better to like do a season. That's all, all like ten episodes of like Neeful to tell Neeful things. Right. I mean, it's unfortunate that that show has kind of just been. I don't know. I guess like quietly canceled, even though I don't think it's like officially canceled. Yeah. Because they were building up to that, really, like with the whole mythology of the town and. You know, having um, like Pop Merrill and Ace Merrill and um, all these people that are sort of associated with like King's work existing in the same universe, like being able to tell some of those stories. Right. Um, so it's a shame, but yeah, again, it's it's fine, and I like yeah. um, uh, Sidow as whatever you call him, like King's dark dark man thing. Uh huh. Um the walking dude or whatever he calls him really right yeah um, like kind of like the some version of flag i guess maybe yeah it's flag or walter or whatever you want to right, call yeah, it. right. That's, yeah that's who this character is in a lot of ways and i i really like i've always admired stephen king for kind of like maintaining that level of um loose unity like uh, in the world that he he writes in where like all those things kind of exist in the same world right um and I think that's one of the things that makes the stuff that um, him and his son write that kind of like intersect, like Mr. Mercedes, Nosferatu, um, Dr. Sleep, like all of those things kind of like having like interweaving uh, realities to him. I think it's pretty cool. What do you think about body bags? So that was another one that I thought about putting on, but number one, I kind of, I, I, I was thinking about maybe saving that for like an anthology episode if we ever do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's it's a little weak as an anthology. Like not all of the stories are like the hair one. I think is by far the most effective in that. Whatever that one and the one with the girl at the um, uh, gas station. <clears throat> like those two are good, but. It's just a little too cartoonish, I guess, maybe, like in terms of Carpenter's character in it, playing the whatever, the the corpse that's telling you the stories. Hit a little too close to like the Crypt Keeper thing, which I guess is like what their, probably what their intention was, was to sort of like play off the success of that and, you know, Tales from the Crypt and the, the other horror anthology shows that were on in like the late 80s, early mm-hmm. 90s. Um, and I enjoy body bags, but you know, again, it's something that I kind of was like holding off on. Right. Have you ever seen Doppelganger? Uh, I don't know. It's a Drew Barrymore movie. Um, from this year where she's like, a, um, she ends up moving in with this guy who's a writer cause he's looking for a new roommate and there's a psychotic alter ego that um starts following her um where she goes and tries to take over uh, it's really bad so um i actually watched it like just randomly i didn't even know it was from this year it was like a month ago like one night i was watching it and i i did not it's not not a good movie um i just wonder if you've seen it though cool. 
Um, there's um, there's a couple of okay sequels in this year. Um, right. one of them we're gonna talk about, but um, the Warlock sequel with Julian Sands is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, is that I the second? Is that the second one or? I I think it's the second one. Okay. Armageddon or something like that, and yep. then um, uh, the. The Maniac Cop sequel is fine. Like, that series is actually kind of an underrated. Um, not that it's, like, great or anything, but it's, um, they're entertaining movies, like, for, like, over-the-top ridiculous, like, gore and stuff. Um, and then I actually kind of prefer the Children of the Corn sequel to the original Children of the Corn, even though it's not a good movie. Um, and Jason Goes to Hell, which is, like, the best Friday the 13th sequel. Um, since like number four basically in terms of that run of movies yeah the the children of the corn i don't know if i've ever seen that but it it has to be better like i always used to like children of the corn when i was young and then you always used to tell me how bad it was and like i think it was this in the past six months maybe or a year or something i watched it and yeah you're right it's bad it's bad yeah there's a lot more tension i feel in the sequel like again not a good movie but it takes that mythology and it builds onto it and it actually kind of makes it a little bit more interesting, I think, um, in terms of like that town and whatever the the one that walks between the stalks or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. The, the he corn. walks between the rows or whatever. Yeah. Walks um, the stalks. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, two more that I wanted to ask you about and then I'm done. So, have you seen Edna's Dead Mother? That sounds familiar. I, I don't um, know. It's a Buscemi movie. Um, mm, no, this year, it's a, it's, a horror, it's a horror comedy. Um, I remember really liking that when I was younger. Um, I don't think I saw it until after I knew who he was. Um, I mean, it's a year after Reservoir Dogs, but I didn't know Reservoir Dogs until 94 when Pulp Fiction came out. So I think I saw it in 94, 95. Um, but I remember I I have no idea. Oh, apparently it's on Prime right now. Um, that's one of those ones that's so far down the list when you're looking for shit you'll never see it. Um, but yeah, I actually remember remember liking that, but I haven't seen it in 25 years. The other one I was going to ask you about, I don't know whether you count it as a horror movie, and I think you have a bad opinion of it anyway, is California? Nah, that's not really a horror movie to me. That's a um, crime thriller, I guess, if I was going to call it anything. Oh yeah, I don't. I do not like that movie. Yeah, I because it's so poorly scripted in a lot of ways. Like it's it's just clunky and embarrassing at times. And I tried to watch California two or three years ago. I guess we were talking about it at one point, and I was it came up somewhere streaming. I was like, "Fuck it, I'll just watch California again." I saw California in the theater. Hmm. That's interesting. The opening, it's opening weekend. Yeah, because I was super excited to see it, and man, I was not not pleased. Yeah, I um, there I, was there were oh god, I I I hadn't seen it since it came out on video, so I just like knew I liked it then. I think I watched it twice because I think I saw it on cable or something like HBO or Cinemax or something like within a year after that. But I haven't seen it for again twenty five years. There's actually one movie I forgot about that um. Like 15 years ago, I would have put on this list, but I watched it again in anticipation of going through the 90s. And number one, I don't want, I would not subject you to it. Number two, it's awful. The good um, sign? 
No, that's like 95, I think. No, that's this year. Um, is it? Yep. Well, fuck that movie anyway. Um, It's called The Untold Story. It's a okay. Hong Kong mm. serial killer horror movie. Okay. Um, I really liked it when I was young. Grr. Um, because it was just super like over the top violent and crazy but man it is like it's just an awful movie like mm-hmm. it's it's really tough to watch it's like every um i don't know like mid mid 90s asian shock movie basically where like women are just disposable characters that are either jokes or targets or and yeah the cops are all these like corrupt bumbling like assholes and basically like allow the the criminal to keep killing and but it's it's got some really uncomfortable scenes to it and it's definitely if it was a better movie i would put it on par with like henry in terms of the way it's filmed like it's realism and whatnot but it's just so many missteps in that movie. Like I, I wouldn't force you to watch it. So, if you decide to do it on your own, it's on Shutter. Okay. It that won't happen. Um, after that description, um, I'll, exactly I'll, everything I'll, I'll end up watching some bad '90s action movie instead. Um, it's it's everything that you hate in horror, basically rolled into one movie. So, gotcha. <laughs> definitely going to go watch it now no giant monsters there's no giant monsters in it, oh, okay so. what are the things i hate uh slashers mm-hmm. um violence that has like no purpose that's just done for whatever right um giant monsters um bad writing oh, bad yeah. characterization mm-hmm. um really sloppy directing Long, boring segments that don't go anywhere. It's pretty much it's pretty much that movie. Oh, a lot of those things leads us right into number five on your list, which is Dario Argento's Trauma. Um, it stars Christopher Rydell, Asia Argento, Piper Laurie, James Russo, and Brad Dourif. It has a 57% from critics on Rotten Tomato and a 41% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and how it made number five on your list? <clears throat> so this is 100% the nostalgia pick um, for me. And only because this is the first Dario Argento movie that I saw when it came out, basically. Yeah. So I got to see it like I wasn't watching a movie that was whatever, like 20 years old at that point. Um, it was brand new. Um, at the time, like when I was a kid, I I liked it because I thought it was. <clears throat> I don't know, just like it. It reminded me a lot of like the older like Giallo movies and stuff that I really liked. Um, like some of the Bava stuff from. Or like the early 70s. Some of Argento's stuff, even like, um, I was a big fan of a uh, Deep Red and the Bird with Crystal Plumage and Cat of Nine Tails, and it's it's got a similar style to it. Like once he had moved away, because he had started as I don't know if, like how much you know about Argento, but he started as a writer of like westerns, basically mm. westerns and war movies. Mm-hmm. So his first like movies, I think, is Bird with Crystal Plumage that he directs. Bird with Crystal Plumage. Flies on Grey Velvet and Cat of Nine Tails in some order. And they're all just like really classic, like Giallo movies, you know, like murder mystery, whatever. 
And then he makes um, Deep Red and Deep Red, you know, like I love Deep Red. And that's where he really starts to find his style and his use of music and his use of ambiance and um, his use of like the first first person perspective in terms of like hiding the killer from you. And then he goes into a whole large swath of like a lot of supernatural stuff, you know, because you have Suspiria and um, Inferno and uh, Phenomena and all this, you know, and then some of his other like really like over the top um, horror like uh, Tenabre or Unsane or whatever it was called in America. And um, so this is his second movie he ever filmed in America after um two evil eyes his segment on two evil eyes right so you can tell that he's not comfortable necessarily like filming in this country and he also is not necessarily comfortable filming actors that speak english i don't think um and it shows i mean it's 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 silly in terms of its plot um i think you immediately can kind of suss out like who the killer is or like you have a good idea of it like because i knew watching it and i remember thinking like man like was i ever confused as to what was happening in this movie because it's pretty like obvious early on that who the killer is um it's also oddly exploitive which i guess didn't bother me in the 90s that he's like overly sexualizing his daughter Mm -hmm. and portraying her as a 16 year old um which is also kind of creepy uh but that being said like it's it's a pretty typical Argento movie. Um, it's always hard for me to avoid putting anything that he does on a list just because I love like his stuff so much and I love his style. Um, I think that I think the main character, um, who's a dorky, what is he? He's a like concept artist for a television station yes. like he's not even a reporter he's just a guy that draws he just does the art like the, the art for the um like splash graphics kind of for the evening news right like yeah but he's like the least charming most awkward idiot like ever and it's just it, it, it made me laugh really hard this time to think of him as like the protagonist <coughs> in this movie and there's a funny thing like where so the basic like we haven't even talked about the plot, but like the plot doesn't really matter. Um, no, no, let's let's go ahead and tell tell us this plot. All, all right. right. So, Asia Argento is a troubled teen who has an eating disorder and possibly some kind of other like psychotic issues. Um, whose parents are murdered by a killer that uses a really weird like circular saw that's basically just a steel cable wound through a what would you call it like a like a like a gun trigger almost and then like you like can cut through things but i don't know i guess it's the thing that really exists it's probably like the whole inspiration was he saw like some construction worker doing this was like oh man like i could kill people with that and then made a whole movie about it right um so there's this killer that every time it rains goes out and beheads people um kills asia argento's parents asia argento then for no reason moves in with this fucking schlub um and they start like kind of dating each other weirdly 
but she was escaped from this mental institution run by this creeper um who's possibly abusing the people in his mental institution but is definitely considered to be like an awful person by everyone but is still allowed to just like run you know like a hospital like a mental hospital for children basically which is like another weird plot point i guess in argento's world like it's fine if you're a molesting creeper as long as like i don't know whatever you got your degree Mm -hmm. um so she gets kidnapped and taken back to the hospital and then it takes david who's the protagonist like two days it feels like to go and rescue her right um then it turns out that it's her mother is the one that actually like faked her own death and is killing these people um which is a really bad plot point and they're all saved by quite possibly the worst child character in any horror movie ever um i can't remember like what the kid's name is but he's this like little fucking asshole that lives next door to the killer's house and like basically what one of one of the tropes that i hate the most in horror is like the self self-important fucking child that just is doing whatever it wants and somehow like finds the killer or like does something that alerts people to the killer because it's being like a troglodyte like this kid breaks into this home because he sees a lizard like crawling on the wall and then he kills the lizard and like knocks everything over and almost he almost kills himself with the killer's like like whatever saw gun thing which actually like would have been the better like the best scene in the movie if that kid would have like turned that thing on and beheaded himself uh-huh. yeah so that's it i don't know so then there's there's also a plot point here where the doctor is like delivering the... oh right the infant brother or the newborn brother of asia argento but cuts off his head like while he's delivering him Mm -hmm. yeah and that's causes um that's what causes all this shit to happen because electroshock therapy to the mother Mm -hmm. that he murdered right her son and then everyone else covers it up right yeah so so this doctor played by brad dorf so the lights go out during the delivery and he accidentally slips with the scalpel while delivering this child and beheads it yes okay he beheads a child like a baby apparently with a scalpel yes right okay what are your favorite I mean, scenes? What are, what are your favorite scenes from this movie? What do you like about this? Look, I'm not going to lie to you. I put this on the list because I remember it being better than it was. And then by the time like I watched it, it was too late to change anything about it. Oh so. my god, I love it. I love it that like I finally got you after all these years. Um <laughs> it's, very, a, it's, it's a movie you can't defend. It's very clumsy for Argento. Like, it doesn't even feel like his movie. 
in the sense that like it's all weirdly lit like it doesn't have there, there's a couple times like so when when he's when he's having sex with the reporter bitch that basically like turns in Asia Argento to the doctor because she's an asshole because right. she doesn't want her boyfriend fucking a 16 year old which really probably is like one of the better things in the movie too is that like look like you can't fuck the 16 year old um that's kind of lit in a standard Argento way it's got like a weird like yellowish orange like tinge to it um and some of the stuff in the rain is fine the scene where um uh, the killer has the mother and father's heads and is holding them up to like obscure their own head. Um, I thought that scene was was pretty cool. Like that felt like typical Argento to me. Um, the scene in the beginning where the whatever she is, massage therapist or the black lady doctor. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was murder. I, th- I thought the, the opening scene was the best scene <clears> of the movie. That was very much a nice callback to like um like Deep Red or uh, Tanabra. Um, because it, it it felt like that old Argento. Yeah. <clears throat> Everything else in between that is just really bad and weird. Yeah. And like it it really so I hate to say this like this, but this is really the beginning of the decline of Argento into being a terrible director. Because aside from Stendhal Syndrome, which I still think is a decent movie, everything after this is just really bad. Like he makes some really bad movies after this. The fucking um, mother of a uh, mother of tears or whatever. No, that's not. That's Mater like Formosa. What is the one? The third in the um. Yeah, the the mother one. Uh, mother of tears. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Um. So that one. Literally, the title translates to the third mother in Italian, but the English title ended up being Becoming Mother of Tears. But, like, Scarlet Diva's terrible. That's, like, well, of course, he doesn't even direct that, so I guess you can't really blame it on him. His Phantom of the Opera is not that great. Um, the card player is not very good. Uh, his Giallo movie is not good. Dracula 3D is not good. Um, it's just, like, it's like it's all downhill after this point, but... Yeah. I really remember liking it a lot more than I did this time. Like, and I don't know what I liked about it. Although I think that really with like horror movies, I was very just like cool with like almost anything. Yeah. So at this uh, point, we just have the two like. Uh, well, he just wrote that, right? Uh, yeah. So that's not even what um, demons. Um, so out of the things that he's directed pretty much all we have left at some point is did we do opera no although i really like that movie i i left it off because um you'd you'd overwhelm me with too much yeah you would you would really Argento. um so you would, you would I, i'm just it. trying to trying to get a checklist here so we're pretty much done right yeah we've talked about all of his movies yeah well okay. it, I don't know if I put Stendhal syndrome on ninety six or not, but um, if I did, then we'll talk about that because I I do enjoy that movie. Okay, but that's uh, it. Like after that, it, I mean seriously, like I'm I don't even like have nostalgia for any of that shit. Right. Opera is pretty good though. I mean, opera's got some really like uncomfortable scenes in it, and it's it's done really well. And the plot the plot twist at the end is actually really cool. I think. Well, maybe somehow that'll end up on a list someday. I don't know I'll when we'll it. ever go back. Right. 
All right. Well, rest in peace, um, Argento. Um, on the podcast, anyway. Someday I'll make you do a retrospective. <laughs> um, I thought this actually as weird as it was. I thought this, uh, if I'm, I joke at his expense a lot. I thought this started out fine for the first like 25 minutes, even as weird as it is and kind of uncomfortable as it is. And then just completely nosedived. Um, it's it's really once you get past the scene where she discovers her parents dead, mm-hmm. like their their beheaded bodies, because that's all really like intense and it's like shot in, with the backdrop of like the lightning storm. And then I I I love that shot of the killer holding the two heads up, like out in front of him or her, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really gruesome and effective and it's like honestly like a really great shot and then yeah it's just terrible after that and really it's like the sexualization of his daughter is just so crazy to me yeah like and he does it in every movie she's in like he overly sexualizes her and it's really really awkward mm-hmm. yeah it really is she's a weirdo too though yes well she just got tied up in all that me too stuff of you know like because she was having sex with like a sixteen-year-old boy, like yeah, I think the kid that was in, she um, was she was tied into the like you know where Weinstein had abused her, right? And then and then it came out that she was having a long-term relationship with like a sixteen-year-old or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Argento's. At least she has the excuse to be in fucking European, where they have like different whatever. Well, wouldn't he have that excuse as well? Weinstein? No, Argento, the uh, Dario Argento, like her father. Oh no, he's just he's just a creep. I don't think he was doing anything like untoward with it. Mm. Just, I mean, maybe that's the whole like the Italians just don't have the same hangups right. about sexuality we do. But still, it's yeah. a kid, right? Yeah. All right, number four on your list is Body Melt. Directed by Philip Brophy, starring Gerard Kennedy, Andrew Dotto, Ian Smith, and Vince Gill. G-I-L, um, not Vince Gill, G-I-L-L, the country music singer. Um, it has no rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 31% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about this movie and why it's on the list? Um, so one of my favorite like secret subgenres of horror is the Australian like gonzo horror um australia new zealand so you know when we talked about um uh dead alive or right whatever you want to call that movie brain dead um a couple what last month or two months ago last month i think um so this is sort of in the same tradition um this pharmaceutical company has been testing um this dietary supplement pill on the members of this their residents of this like what would you call it like suburban like cul-de-sac basically um but the dietary supplement pills like basically cause people to like go crazy or have parts of their body like change or like melt away yeah it's funny um so there's basically like a group of people trying to like warn people about it and then the oh fuck what is the name of the company Vimaville or something like that like trying to like hide their um 
hide their misdeeds. Um, the weird subplot with a couple of assholes, like friends who go on this road trip and end up at this weird, um, I don't even know what you would call it, like roadside repair shop slash like maybe restaurant, but then they end up getting like taken prisoner and killed by the residents there who end up the guy who's the father is the guy that helped create this pill but got like blacklisted and then his children he experimented on and they turned into like super strength I don't want to use the word retard as a pejorative but like yeah and there's a lot of really great um, practical effects of people's like various body parts um liquefying and elongating and exploding and um growing tentacles and having like placentas that are uh, i don't know uh-huh. in all fairness i watched this movie like a year ago when we first started talking about this list and i didn't watch it again so i'm just remembering all like the gruesome effects right i don't remember what happens at the end like what's the like pretty much everybody dies right? everybody pretty much dies yeah yeah, and there's no real like comeuppance. Well, it looks like there's going to be some people that live, but then, like, they're where where are they at in the doctor's office at the end or something? Like, they, it seems right. like the, like people are there. There might be some survivors, and then it's like there's even more people that are affected by this, and it looks like everybody's going to die. I haven't watched this movie since late last summer because you told me to watch this when I was going through all those horror movies last summer and I watched it and then I went back and started watching this a few weeks ago and, um, got like 60 seconds in and was like, Oh, I fucking watched this movie just like last year. Um, so I, so I watched it as shows you where I was at last summer and, um, probably also like the long-term effect this movie had on me even though i remember kind of thinking this was funny um it's a fun movie it's it's a nice it's a it's a funny satire on like the whole idea of um yes because this is the beginning of like the supplements craze in terms of like creatine and um i don't know it's like yeah. stacker two and stuff yeah, like yeah. that was, and, and right around the time of the human growth hormone that everybody was like switching over to like just starting to become like steroids were bad and you know like all these supplements and stuff were good it's a nice like it's a nice spin on that it's got some really great practical effects in it um some of my favorite practical effects like outside of uh like brian Usna, um you know like the really like great like body horror like um cronenberg from the 80s like it's got really great like body horror elements to it um and it's got that australian charm that i don't know how much charm you find in it but like that i really like a lot which is that like good day mate like nonsense yeah. shit some um, of it some of it i thought was really funny and some of it i was just like <laughs> um but i i enjoyed like the the commentary elements of of the movie um and like the -the over-the-top nature of like making that like kind of satirical point um but i think like the like philosophically like like in what it's trying to kind of get to which isn't any kind of grand you don't get me wrong this isn't like grand social commentary in any way but um i mean it's something that still holds up today 
like in ter- terms of commentary. Yeah. About pharmaceutical companies and stuff. It's funny because it's a really brutal. Like no one is safe in this movie from like dying, basically, including right. families and children and mothers and um I don't know. It really uh really catches you off guard, I think, in terms of like just how vicious it treats its um its principles. But I guess like as a parody, that's why it works. Right. Um but yeah, it's um I think it's still free somewhere. Yeah, it's it's Maybe it's been Prime. it's been yeah it's on Prime like uh, Prime subscription it's on Tubi I think as well. Um, if you don't have a Prime subscription, double check that. Uh, yeah, it's on Tubi. There's well. an and, and it's on, and on, Yes, there is an exploiting penis. I do remember that. Um, and it's free on Voodoo as well. So. Pretty much free everywhere because so. nobody's ever reviewed it. Which isn't true. I think it's I think it's worth watching honestly. Um, this is probably not the first like review then, since I don't remember it that well. Um, except that I really enjoyed it. Um, again, it was going to be a fresh vibe because I was just so blown away by like just the care and um, like detail and the practical effects. I thought it was amazing. Um, and I'm a sucker for practical effects in a movie. Yeah, I mean, I think especially if you're into like things like Dead Alive and all that kind of stuff, like which is probably what most people would know if they know anything from like that time period and the body horror gross out shit like in Australia like I think it's very comparable in terms of some of that stuff and um I mean as somebody who's not a fan of that stuff in general and but I liked that alive overall I I thought this was comparable I thought it was a good movie like in that regard yeah, it's a good send up of like different um like genre character tropes too, like the yeah. the sleazy lawyer and businessman and the mad scientist and the the chippy like suburban couple and the loser like drunk drug addict like teenagers and everyone just dies. God, I I love the scene the, when when they go to those um the inbred like mutant family's house. I get murdered. There's some really funny stuff in there. Especially because you don't think they're going to get murdered at first, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit. And then they just end up dead. Right. Right. (sighs) So, number three on your list is Ticks, directed by Tony Randall, but that is R-A-N-D-E-L, not the singer Tony Randall. Um, It uh, stars Rosalind Allen, Amy Dolans, Peter Scolari, Seth Green, Alfonso Ribeiro, and Clint and Rance Howard, both um, in the movie. has a 71% from critics and a 32% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about this movie and why it's on the list? Um... I mean, it's just a, there's a group of troubled teens, troubled inner city teens who as like some kind of like outreach or therapy or whatever are going to the woods for an an indeterminate amount of time, including Seth Green, who's just like roundly kicked out of his father's truck for no reason and left in the middle of like the city at a like highway underpass, basically. Uh Uh-huh. Um, 
before he gets bullied by <laughs> right by, before by. before Carlton comes over and bullies him. Carlton or, from uh, Fresh Prince, right? <laughs> Alfonso Ribeiro, um, not only bullied but like threatened to be killed, basically with a switchblade or mauled to death by a dog. Um, so they go to the woods. When they're in the woods, um, there's this group of led by um Clint Howard, um hicks that are using chemicals to like alter the effects of marijuana to make it more potent but these chemicals have also had a unforeseen um effect on the local tick population um which grow to uh, enormous sizes and basically suck the life out of like everything they come in contact with um this is a rubber monster movie uh so when you see the things, they either look really fake or they're shown kind of in like profile or you don't really see them ever as much like as like whole like creatures um, and the budget's super low. So a lot of what you see are like these dripping sacks of like tick eggs, I guess, mm-hmm. that are like stuck to things. Um, it's I, I I think it's a really fun movie. It's a movie that like even at whatever 15 years old or 16 years old whenever i saw this movie i knew was not a good movie but it entertained me um i thought it was funny that carlton was in it um it's actually kind of funny to see young seth green um acting like old seth green yeah like basically acting like he's he's basically setting the template for the character he will play in every single thing he's in right from now until the rest of his life which is the smart ass He's largely just playing himself, yeah. I mean like on the surface, like nerdy, but like with a with like a sharp tongue and like this cool sense of style and yeah. Yeah. He's, he's 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 gonna talk his way into like getting the girl and gave him a good career out of it. Yeah. Um look, this is my this is the most enjoyable movie to watch on this list to me. I thoroughly enjoyed watching this movie. Um, I remember like the night I was watching it, it's like, I was not like, I couldn't find anything. Like I finally just, you know what? I'm just going to watch this. I wasn't in a great mood. Maybe, maybe put me in a good mood. Um, like I, and look, there's again, it's not a master class of acting or anything like that, but it's competent actors in this. Sure. I mean, you actually have people that went on to have, like, careers. Sure. I mean, Peter Scolari, Amy Dolan's, like, you know, um, Green, Ribeiro. Seth Green, Howard, Rance Howard. Right. Alfonso Ribeiro. Sure. Um, Like, all these people are, you know, like, actually had careers. But it's, it's, when you can keep a cast fairly small like that and insular and just have them working with each other and you have decent actors and this is going to come to me important in the first movie on your list as well when you can keep kind of things like small to some degree and have people work with each other and get to know each other and you have at least tight enough writing to where everything kind of makes sense as it's progressing and you can have people work with each other to where it's like they can get to know each other and they're actually honestly reacting to one another, like as actors in these like B movies and stuff like that, they usually turn out fine. Um, and I thought this was just a damn fun, well-paced, not very long. What is it like 86 minutes or something like that? Oh, like, it's, yeah, it's short as shit. Um, 
well-paced movie. I thought it was fun. It's a throwback to a complete, it is so 1993. Like it was a throwback to a completely different time. Um, yeah. Fucking um, Alfonso Ribeiro plays uh, um, a character named panic. Who's called panic because he never does. That's your right. introduction to panic. Right. Bulling, um, bulling, bulling him on the basketball court. Right. Mm-hmm. Who has to cut his Zuba pants open to like get the tick out that's like bitten him right yeah fucking amazing right and he's like this hardcore like you know like what they almost try to portray him as like this bully maybe gangbanger like type like and then it's like you find out he's just like this really nice like sweet kid who's just like playing like this hard ass because he himself is like insecure and you know um yeah I thought it was a really fun movie. Um, I thought Peter Scolari was actually really good. Um, and if I'm thinking of who's the right dude, that's the other bosom buddy, right? Is Scolari? that right? I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, so he's he had had a long career before before this. Um, I mean, he's had a long career after it too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's him. He, he's on he's on bosom buddies with them, and he's also on um, Newhart. Like he was the son-in-law, right? Um. Oh, he's on girls too. Huh. He still has a good career, I guess. Um, yeah, but uh, like I said, good acting in this. I thought, like you know, overall for what it was, well paced, funny, nostalgic. Even though I this is the first time I'd ever seen this, I hadn't seen it like ever. But it's just time period wise, and this, a lot of nostalgia for me there. I really enjoyed it a lot. You know, um. Old uh, Tony Randall, um, not Tony Randall, the singer, uh, has directed some some pretty fantastic movies, right? Really? Um, yeah, he directed uh, Hellraiser 2. Uh, he directed Godzilla 85. He directed the live-action Fist of the North Star, which know. is possibly one of the worst movies ever made. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is, is Hellraiser 2 bad? I've it's seen... better than the ones that come after it. I oh, okay. Because I was actually going to like watch that here soon because it's free somewhere, um, and I haven't seen it since like again the nineties. So it's got some really great scenes in it. It's not as good as Hellraiser. Mm. Gotcha. Um. Yeah, he doesn't have much of the film art, does he? Um. That, I love I love this Tony Randall, not the singer Tony Randall. Um, personal life. Randall is married and has two children. In addition to his film career, he stated that his other love is radio. He has been a licensed amateur radio operator since 1968. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing other than the brief three lines about his film career of what he's directed. Um... That's that's what you get about Tony Randall. So, um, and considering the last movie that he made was 1991, um, I, I have this image of just Tony Randall just chilling out <laughs> in a little shed behind his house, like you know, on a ham radio or something like that. Probably like uh, somehow like listening to us right now through a ham radio. He's in the Zach Brief pipeline, right? <laughs> Uh, any final thoughts on this movie, Frank? 
No, just like, I mean, I think you said it perfectly. It's just fun. Yeah. On Tubi, it's very short. Yeah. Brief time of your life where you'll enjoy. It really, so you you said it's very reminiscent of 93. It's actually a really good callback in a lot of ways to like the monster movies of the 50s and 60s, like them and um, the Beast from 10,000 Phantoms or whatever. Like this idea of these like mutated creatures brought about by human interference. Um, you know, attacking people. Oh uh, yeah, from the monster element and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. I don't care about the monster element at all. So, and I don't know anything about them because, like, you're the you're the person. There's that kind of stuff. I I don't watch any of those movies. But. You got you got no soul. <laughs> that's, that's that's very possible. Yes. Um. <clears throat> all right. The number two on your list is Chronos, directed by Guillermo del Toro, stars Federico Lupi, Ron Perlman, Claudio Brook. Margarita Isabel has a 91% from critics, a 69% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about this movie and why it's number two on the list? Um, so there's a old antique dealer, um, who. Let me see how I want to start describing this plot. So, Ron Perlman works for his uncle. I guess is that what he is? Yeah. Um, who's this recluse that lives in this like really nice pristine apartment inside this weird like factory slash warehouse whatever apartment building thing um basically hidden from the world so ron perlman is tasked with going and looking at these statues of angels for something um there's jesus is this older gentleman lives with his wife and his granddaughter who runs an antique shop. Um, one day he discovers this um, metal, like mechanical scarab thing inside one of the statues um, that after like fucking around with it for a minute, it like pierces his skin and hurts him. Um, and that's the thing that Ron Perlman was looking for. Um, so basically the thing is a, um, device that grants eternal life but grants it through like a form of vampirism um, that was created by this alchemist in the 1500s know, 16th century whatever yeah. Um, so Jesus gets addicted to the idea of like feeling younger and having more energy um, Ron Perlman's grandpa or uncle or whatever um, offers to buy it from him and he thinks that he's got, like gotten it back, but Jesus has held on to it. Um, he then gets beaten up by Ron Perlman, drugged and pushed in a car over the side of a cliff, but comes back to life before he's about to be cremated because he's now an immortal. Um, and that's the, um, what do you call it? Like the monkey's paw element of the thing mm -hmm. is that you have to basically like become a vampire and drink blood to sustain yourself in order to like maintain your youth. Um, and you turn like this really like weird, um, marbly, like waxy skin color thing. Like your real skin flakes off and you have this weird, like marble skin underneath. Um, so where am I at? So basically, they kidnap the granddaughter. Um, he goes to rescue her. Um, and ends up killing um, Dieter, 
um, before knowing like how he can escape from it. So he ends up the grandfather, Jesus ends up going back to his house and kind of like just waiting for the sun. Cause they show, you know, he's got the standard weaknesses of a vampire, like where the sun can burn his skin or whatever. Um, and there's also some question about whether or not he can maintain control over himself, like around his granddaughter. Um, right. but in the end he ends up destroying the device, um, which he thought would kill him. And then he just kind of sits there, uh, with his wife waiting to see if the son ends his life. And that's the end of it. There's actually a sequel to this movie, like a loose sequel too, called we are what we are. Yeah. I just I've, saw that. Which I didn't know anything about. Yeah. I've never seen it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's one of those things where I have it on, um, fuck, where is it? It's free somewhere. I have it on a watch list somewhere and I just never have the desire to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kronos is a movie that was super popular in the, in 93. Um, among like me and my friends as this like revelatory horror movie. Um, it was the first time I had seen anything from Del Toro, I believe. Right. I think this is his like debut movie, right? It's, it's, it's the first one that I saw. The first one that I think people like in general probably widely saw. Um, um, but I was really impressed with it at the time. Like I like. I like the different take on vampirism because I think that like you, especially around this time, you're kind of played out with like vampire movies. Cause they're all like roughly the same. Right. And you have the like bloated excess of um, Coppola's Dracula. And this was kind of like a nice palate cleanser from that. Um, I'm always a fan of Perlman and especially like early Perlman. Cause he's just such a weird. Yeah. Like the funniest thing is him sitting <clears throat> <clears throat> pardon me like him just there in his underwear like trying to like just live his life and like relax right. and he's got to like get dressed and stomp back upstairs because mm-hmm. his uncle's calling him um which i thought was really funny um i think are are you not a fan of the blue in this movie because there's a lot of blue there's in a parts there's, of this movie. yeah I, I, it it didn't it didn't ruin it for me but there's a little there's a lot of blue when I was watching it a couple weeks ago, I was wondering about, um, is Chris going to bitch about the blue here? Nah, it's not. Um, but I like the performances. I think that yes. um, Perlman is really great. The guy that plays, um, what's his name? Dieter Von something. Uh, the bad guy <clears throat> is really good in it. Um, I really love the scene where he, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where he like kind of like, awakens from death and he's in the morgue and he's got to like sneak out um away from the crematorium and like he's saved by the fact that the the guy can't get the crematorium to light properly and um i don't know it's it's not as great a movie as i remember thinking it was in 1994 uh, which is probably the year that i saw it but i still like enjoyed it and thought it was well directed um for a you know debut effort or an early effort from a guy who's definitely become one of the more like artistically gifted one of the most horror directors sure anyway he's also the most respected foreign director maybe on in on the on, on the globe right now why do you think that i mean dude's got fucking 
tons of Oscar nominations by this point in his career and not and on an Oscar win. I mean, mm. like that's an interesting question. I don't know if I would say. I don't know who else would it be though. Hmm. Um, I'd have to think about it more, but I mean, he's certainly one of them. Uh, like, it's funny because I always just think of him as like a genre director, even though right. I know that like you know the Shape of Water or whatever. I guess is what he got well, his yeah, Oscar he, for. I mean, he got nominated for Pan's Labyrinth, and then he won director and picture for Shape of Water. Um, you know, I mean, those are, I guess, like, his two most famous, but, like, still, like, I'm... I guess in my mind, he just exists in this vacuum where he's just this dude that directs horror movies. Right. Or, like, genre pictures. I mean, like, I you mean, know, I the Hellboy movies. And... Sure. Did you watch I'm... on Crimson Peak? Yeah. No, I, 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 period pieces are starting to bother me, Frank. Like that kind of period piece is starting to bother me. I don't think you'll like it very much. You don't think I will? Uh-uh. I didn't I, either. That's, that's why I didn't watch it. Yeah, that's why I didn't bring it up to you to recommend right. it. I thought it was okay. It's, it's like too much melodrama and not enough like ghost, ghostly shit, I guess, right. is the way I look at it. It's fine though. Like it's got some really some some decent scenes in it. It's kind of like this in the sense where like there were times where I was watching this movie and I thought like man like I remember really loving this part or like Del Toro is so clever in the way that he films things or the way he lights things right. or just his camera angles or the way he builds like um suspense you know kind of. Um, mm-hmm. Especially like after he wakes from the dead and he's kind of like trying to come home, it's like that's um some really effective camera work there. But okay. there's also times where you're like, and eh, just kind of like let's let's just move this on. Like let's my look. My notes here are very short. It says I liked it. Extremely well filmed and good special effects. Felt it like it lacked a punch. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. That's this notes. is another one that like again something I loved when I was a kid. And I've seen this movie a few times because um, it came out. Came out on it was one of the first Criterion Blu-rays. Actually, was this movie? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably about eight years ago, maybe nine years ago. Right. Um, so watched it then, and then watched it. Um, I guess about a week and a half ago for the podcast. Um, to, to diminishing returns, but I still think like when you consider everything else that was out this year, you know, definitely like one of the best movies. Okay, so. I, I did some very quick research just in terms of directors here, right? He He's on a short list right now with Alfonso Cuaron, Ang Lee, Inurito, and him as, like, the most celebrated, probably, foreign directors. What about, you know? uh... Oh, what's his fucking name? Uh... I should say I'm not counting like Caucasian. Villa, Villa, Villeneuve, Villeneuve, Villeneuve. Um, Villeneuve is, let's see, he's got one nomination for uh, Arrival. Um, um, that's it. Hmm. You're just going by Oscar nominations? I'm just going by Oscar nomination, sure. But I mean, I think it gives you a sense. I mean, Inurito actually like has 
tons of nominations. Um, that dude basically gets nominated for everything he does. Right, yeah, and, like, two wins at this point, so, I mean... And in my, yeah, like, I didn't even think of him, but in my opinion, he's probably, like, maybe the best, like, director working today in terms of his overall body of work and just the quality of things. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's a good argument for that. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah, this would, this, it would be, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah, because the two wins came back to back, right? Wasn't it? Like, Birdman and Revenant? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like there, there's definitely like an argument to be made that like that guy has like the heavyweight type. Like if we ever do like that concept ever someday, it's like he definitely holds like the the title for you know probably like a few year period at least. Um, He's one of the few foreign born directors that can really effectively direct English speaking actors too. Mm-hmm. Like there really pulls like great performances out of. um english-speaking actors right i always hate to say it like that because that sounds like super racist but i just feel like when you're directing people that don't speak your native tongue that there's some nuances i, think, I, I agree i mean I, I think that's true but i don't know that in in, in inner ever loses that nuance like yeah fucking birdman and revenant like to do those movies like one year after the next is like almost unthinkable that somebody could create like two completely different movies that are both phenomenal to watch and super entertaining and have like a huge amount of artistic marriage and right. do it not in your own, like in outside of your native language. Right. I don't think people give people enough credit that can do that. Yeah. Cause you got to manage like an entire production. And if you're doing it, I mean, you can see it in um trauma, like to go back to the number five movie. Mm-hmm. You know, because Argento is directing in English at that point. Like, that's sure. his only full length feature that he ever directed in this country. And you can see, like, I think why he left. Sure. You got to yeah. manage, yeah. first of all, like, what does he know about? Where does it take place in, like, fucking Michigan or something? something like, what right. the hell does he know about Michigan, right? And then, like, location doesn't even matter in that movie. But yeah. It, it doesn't, but I think that's where it is. Or I think sure. that's where it's supposed I think that's where it was filmed, I should say. I don't know if that's where it takes place. Right. But, like, all that stuff, like, managing the crew and, like, everybody that's on set is not, like, you know, speaking Italian to you. You know what? Let me tell you this, too, about, like, trauma. I was just trying not to, like, be too negative. But for Savini, special effects, I thought they were pretty fucking bad. Like, for... Yeah, well, be so, in all fairness, though... There is no fairness, but just this is like a way of explanation. Um, we're never going to see the unedited version of that movie with all the special effects. Right. Sure. I don't. I don't know. The one that the one that I this one this version of it is probably ten minutes longer than the version that I'm familiar with from the nineties. Mm-hmm. So take even more of that shit out that's in it, and it makes even less sense. And you know, for some reason, I still really enjoyed it. So. Right. All right. Yeah. Now I'm more interested in like looking at like these directors. But um, let's let's finish off this list. Inurito. Yeah. We we need to talk about it one day. I I've listened to some interviews with him like in the past like month or so. Um, and that dude is not only fucking quick and smart as shit. He's like one of the most humble fucking dudes like you'll ever hear in your entire life on top of it. Like no That's an not amazing a, career too, man. Like, not an ounce of fucking ego there. Like 
Um, Every one of his movies is just so fucking good. All right. So number one on your list is Return to Living Living Dead 3, directed by Brian Usna, stars Mindy Clark, Jay Trevor Edmund, Kent McCord, and Basil Wallace. Um, Sounds like those names sounds like a fucking hammer movie from like the 60s or something. Um, 55% from critics, 40% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about this movie and uh, why it tops your list? Favor, real quick, while I'm describing the plot. Can you look up the other Return of the Living Dead movies, one and two? Sure. And tell me what their audience scores are. Sure. Um, so the third in the franchise, um, and the first one to really kind of move. I would say predominantly away from the horror comedy elements of the first two movies. Um, the government is exper- experimenting with trioxin gas on um, corpses, reanimating the corpses. Um, one of the, uh, fuck, what is he? Like he's a colonel or general or something. Sons steals his key card and him and his girlfriend sneak on base to see like what they're doing. Um, they end up seeing the, experiments with the gas that are bringing the corpses back to life um, because the military wants to obviously use zombies in combat um, but they can't control them because you know zombies just want to eat your brains all the time um, so they're going to basically <clears throat> put them in these endoskeletons that will freeze them when they're not in battle um which is not as successful as they would hope. So the zombies like attack a scientist. Um, then of course the scientist reanimates because that's what happens with zombies. Um, they're going to shut down the project and move it away, which means that the son is going to have to move with, away from his girlfriend. So he refuses to leave him and the girlfriend right off. Um, but they get in an accident and she dies. So then the son brings the girlfriend's corpse back to the military base with the key card and uses the gas to reanimate her. <coughs> um, so she becomes a zombie. Um, she ends up like kind of deteriorating and starting to like eat other people. Um, they get chased by a gang um into fuck what is it like the sewers basically um she has this weird like mutilation fetish where she starts putting like spikes and nails and fucking glass in her body um julie the girlfriend eventually um kind of kills the gang and reanimates them um to be like her zombie team, I guess. Um, he realizes that when the the military comes and they kind of neutralize the threat, um, they realize that she's going to be used as a weapon. Um, and he gets bitten. Um, and they basically like decide at the end of the movie that they'll just like die in each other's arms and they burn to death. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's I think correct. I hit all the major plot points. Yeah. Sure. Great. It's um, it's, it's interesting. Small, it's a pretty small movie. I mean, overall, interesting because like, 
if you would have asked me in the 90s how I felt about the series, I would have told you that I liked it. But I think, like, in my as I get older, I think this is my favorite zombie franchise. Hmm. Um, I think it's the most interesting depiction of zombies in terms of like the way it shows the decomposition and like how zombies are affected by the different ways that they died um i think each of the movies has a really cool like stylistic i don't know like aesthetic to it that's different from just say like the walking dead is like the traditional zombie and that's the zombies that you see in you know, in increasing frequency and like zombie movies throughout the seventies and eighties. And these are just like so completely unique, you know, like the tar man thing is like one of the, one of my favorite like movie monsters ever. And he's only in whatever, like a half hour of the first movie, but like, I love the look of that. I love the way that she looks in this movie as a zombie where Mm -hmm. it's like increasingly less human, like the more zombified she gets. Um, I really like the bleakness of the world of Return of the Living Dead. Like, even though there's a lot of comedy elements in those movies, um, I think that it's just, it, it truly is like an apocalyptic world in the sense that there's almost no, like, escaping or turning back from it. And, you know, people are always going to fuck it up and, like, make things worse. Um, and I just, I, I really love them. Like, I think there are three really, there are three very different, the first two are much more similar than the third one, but different, but still like unified movies in terms of a shared universe. And they're all fun to watch. Um, they're all pretty, like they go by pretty fast. They have some really great practical effects, maybe some of the best like zombie practical effects um, and a very clear origin point for why zombies exist, which I think is really important because a lot of movies don't do that. So we we've covered all of these, correct? Mm, yes. Yep. Did we do two? I believe so. Yeah, because that's right. Because Dana Ashbrook's in it. Yes. Yeah, we did. Uh huh. Um, we did. Because the first one is the church, correct? Yep. Yeah. That's the one with the tar man in it. Right. The What's... second one is the one where that's the graveyard. Um, I like that one less. Yes, you do. Well, the first one's also a Dan O'Bannon movie, which makes complete right. sense. Yeah, and this one is Brian Usna, so it's right. not even really fair that like right. to talk about okay. because the second one is somebody else. I know who so, the director so you, uh, yeah, I remember his name now. It's like Waiter Horn or something like that. Um, so you asked me so. 9179 are the scores for Return of the Living Dead. Um, 91 critics, 79 audience. Two is 0%, 44%. It's one of the few movies that has absolutely 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's still based off 20 reviews from critics, but um, 44% from audiences. That's weird. And this one here itself is. Um, like I said, is forty uh, percent. So people like this one even less than they did like the second one. Um, critic or uh, audiences, um, although critics obviously liked it much better. At fifty five percent. Yeah. Uh, now that I think about it, and you make that argument, um, I really liked the first one a lot. Um, I really enjoyed watching it, and 
I have no idea if you go back and listen to that. That would have been the what B movies of '85 um, podcast, but um, but yeah. So I don't know what I said then. I'm pretty sure I said I liked it, but like the more I think back on it now, I have fond memories of like watching it two years ago. Um, I remember the other one, and and the second one's memorable because as soon as you said the graveyard, I was like, right, yep, yeah, I remember this one now. Um, so yeah, they're definitely memorable. I like the first one. I think I like the second one a lot less. I thought this look, Kronos is the better film movie. It is the better acted movie. It is Kronos is the most artistic movie on this list, like without a doubt. Um, regardless of that this movie is the one that I enjoyed the most in the sense of like liking it. Like I liked, it's like, it's just competent enough in every single category that it actually worked for me. And where I said in my notes where it's like Kronos lacked a punch, I felt like this had a punch and I felt like it had an emotional core to it. Yeah. That um, is odd for a B movie like this. And Again, I think just like I was saying about ticks, like as ridiculous as it is, it's like I think it's a small cast. They get to work together a lot throughout the course of the movie. I think the plotting, the plotting is kept small too. Like the locations they're in and stuff like that is kept very small. I'm sure for budgetary reasons, but by but they keep it small and the and and to where I want to say this. They keep it small enough to where it's like you get to focus on this core group of characters that move from set to set piece to set piece and actually interact and grow and change throughout. And I think the acting is just good enough, like to let you kind of um, suspend disbelief and get into like the story. And like I said, like I I was actually like affected to some degree emotionally i didn't cry but it's like i think i was you know i was also drinking but like uh, but i was like i was out back like smoking a cigarette like watching the last 20 minutes of this movie sitting there watching it and like that ending is really touching it is um with with them deciding to just end it and um yeah and it, and it felt earned and it felt right um and 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 bittersweet and like all these different feelings um at the same time which again is something to me i never get watching these the horror movies ever um so yeah i just thought it was a really impressive effort for this third movie in the series from yuzna um that like i I expected to hate it i'll be honest like that's a big part of it is that i think that Yuzna, I don't know, gets enough credit for how good he is, especially as, like, a genre creator. Um, Just in terms of, like, being, like, a writer and a director of, like, he understands these movies, and I think he knows, like, what works in them. And not that he's made the best movies ever, but he's been involved in, like, a lot of really, you know, important works, I think, from a horror perspective, so. And written a bunch of great stuff. I mean, he wrote Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, so. 
Well, he's a producer before he was a director, right? Yeah, like, yeah, all three. He didn't direct until I think Society might be his first movie. So it's like he produced Reanimator and From Beyond, um, which is two really good fucking movies. Um, Animator, I think. You know that. Uh, you know that Gordon does. I mean, uh, and then what? He directed Bride of Reanimator. He directed Society, which I really like a lot. I like society is a good movie. Is Silent Night, Deadly Night Four bad or you know? Um, he directs that. The second one's awful. I, I can't remember if the fourth one's bad. Um I don't know a lot of these other movies, like The Dentist and The Progen- Dentist The Dentist is fine. Progeny's fine. Uh-huh. Um that Faust Love of the Damned movie is is decent. Um Beyond Reanimator? I, I watched that shit. I don't remember if I like that or not. Do you know if it's any good? No, I can't remember that movie. Yeah. I watched it like Wesley and I watched it when it came out. Like, um I don't know any of these other movies either. Rottweiler. Um who knows? But yeah, I mean I don't know. I mean I think Yeah. I, I really like oh he uh executive produced Warlock as well. Um Oh, executive produced ticks too. Yeah, I didn't catch that earlier. Um, interesting. Yeah, I really, I really thought this movie was good. Like it was, it was. I thought it was like just, just edged out Chronos, which is the much better film, much better acting movie overall. But it's just edged out just because I thought there was actually a fucking reason to care. Like, right. I agree with that. Um, I really cared about like, and I, and I didn't expect to care. Like she dies early on. And I'm like, okay, like fine. He's going to, you know, blah, blah. Like you have all these like kind of preconceived notions about what's going to happen. If you know movies and having not seen this, I had these preconceived notions of what was going to happen. And I think that also is another reason I liked it is because it broke what I thought was going to happen in this movie. Um, and um, yeah, but good movie. Yeah, aside from drama, it was a pretty decent list, I think. Yeah, sure. I agree. Um, and drama, I thought, was funny at times, too. I mean, like... Yeah. Obviously- so, so, I don't know if you ever heard Piper Laurie did, too. Uh, <clears throat> Piper Laurie said that she laughed all the way through shooting it and never ended up watching the final product at all. <laughs> You're better off. Yeah. Uh, so next month is um, pretty good, though, I think. I'm... Uh, Next, next, the, look, Frank. The next couple, um, next couple months are pretty good. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, it's true. Like pretty much for the rest of the decade, honestly, there's at least two or three good movies every. Um, oh, uh, sorry, I was thinking about ninety six, not ninety five, but still, um, there's some movies I'm interested in. There's a couple of movies I haven't seen, so um, yeah, I'm interested in your take on some of these movies. Yeah. That I know you haven't seen yet. So yeah, I've watched two of them from '94 so far. Um, one of them's on YouTube. I'll have to send you the link eventually, like because it took a little bit of digging for me at least um, to find it because it's not available anywhere. But um, yeah, there's a couple of these. Uh, yeah, I guess I've seen three of them in the past year, but I'll have to rewatch that one again. But um, yeah, next next one's gonna be really interesting. Yeah, like I, I definitely see like a the trend developing of like new things happening there 
maybe not as much in 95 and then 96 is like where it really starts taking off i think and we start going different directions but um you definitely see like a i think the, the change coming in horror next month and those things that you picked to branch out into asian horror too towards the end of the decade which i yeah. think is um right yep will be a lot of interesting uh interesting conversations sure um get to revisit one of those movies we've talked about before and talked about for the past 20 years of our lives um but yeah so that should be interesting Thanks so much all right so um next week we will be returning with um frank's first fresh five of the year um that alliteration was difficult at this point um and uh, if you are new then that is when frank uh who's continuously watching movies, um, past and present, picks the te- the best five movies for uh, uh, that he's seen, um, given you know the time constraints. So basically from, what, the beginning of this year, Frank, to recently. Um, <clears throat> and we're trying to incorporate two of those in a year now. We'll be doing another one in November. Um, so Frank can keep track of basically everything from now until then and pick his best five movies. But... Um, Good list next week. Um, better list the following week, um, where we have the top five movies that Chris loves and Frank is indifferent to. Um, that's not true at all, but um, <clears throat> that is a better list. But um, but yeah, this is our second annual episode, um, recalling last year's episode, the top five movies that Chris loves and Frank hates, which has a, some really good fucking movies on that list too. Um, <clears throat> They're fine. <laughs> um but yeah so we'll be doing that and then we'll be ending the month with the 94 horror list that we were just referencing any final thoughts this week frank um as a unpaid plug um <clears throat> there's a new streaming service called arrow just so you it's know uh, we, need to, we need to get to a point of paid plugs <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we would have done at the beginning of the episode then instead of <laughs> right like a final but um 4.99 a month it has a bunch of really great like um cult movies that's its focus is um cult uh so horror sci-fi action western um just like weird like mondo type stuff it's um has a really good selection it's honestly some really great like classic movies on it and for 4.99 a month i think it's really worth um worth the price of the subscription plus they have original content um in the horror genre so even if you rent like one horror movie a month it's less than what it would cost you to rent a new release so it's it's worth it i think yeah and you added that through um amazon correct yeah well through my fire stick wherever gotcha um it's available pretty much everywhere ios um android fire tv roku uh chromecast um and but the uh actual address that you go to sign up if you're not adding it through somewhere is kind of weird which is um arrowplayer.com but it's arrow with a hyphen between arrow and player uh .com so i was looking through it when frank was telling me about it earlier and yeah it looks like it has some really cool stuff on it um including uh hellraiser 2 so um, yep yeah all right also something else is on a list coming up i noticed Hmm. There, yeah, there's a few things. I when I was looking through it, there's a, there's actually a number of things from horror lists that is on there. Um, a lot of the Japanese are yes, the, yeah, because they have like the whole Ringu series. I know, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. 
fucking these this director list we we need to start we need to figure out a category to start doing more like recent things in the last 20 years right agreed um because some really good directors in the last 20 years they really are all right have a good night everybody um thanks thanks for for listening. listening see you next week deuces